Welcome and thanks for joining us here at the Bethel Church Podcast. For more information about Bethel and who we are, you can visit us online at BethelChurch.info. We hope you are encouraged and that you find hope in today's message. I want you to look with me in, in Matthew chapter 1 for just a moment. Uh, this is uh, the, the only gospel that starts the quote-unquote birth of Jesus this way. Matthew, uh, I know I'm assuming that many of you know this, so I, I better not. I'll just go ahead and say it. Scripture was inspired by God. A lot of writers, one author. It's not wrong. Many times it even lists out things that we raise our eyebrow out and we're like, whoa, why would the Bible put this in there? Because the Bible doesn't hide the sin of men. Even the men and women that God used, it doesn't hide their sin. It says it plainly. So we're going to look real fast at a few passages surrounding the Christmas story. The first one is in Matthew 1. The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Now, I want to tell you this. This is not probably what you want to read on Christmas morning while your kids are waiting to open their gifts. Abraham was the father of... We've got a few people that read. Great. And Isaac, the father of... And Jacob, the father of... And his brothers and Judah, the father of everybody got real quiet there. Not sure how to pronounce that. Perez and Zerah by Tamar and Perez, the father of Hezron and Hezron, the father of Ram and Ram, the father of. I thought the Holy Spirit came in the book of Acts. Evidently, Matthew is writing in tongues right now. And Ram, the father of Aminadab and Aminadab, the father of Nishan, Nishan, the father of. Come on, we're in North Carolina. It's not salmon, it's salmon. <laughs> Say it right. And salmon, the father of Boaz, by Rahab. So right before the story of Jesus' birth, I'm not going to read through the whole lineage. Matthew was inspired by God to write out the lineage of Jesus. And the first thing you should know, in this culture, writing down a lineage, it meant something. It wasn't just like a family tree. It was kind of announcing who you were. In this culture, a couple things you need to know is this. First one is that women did not usually make it into the lineage. Sorry, ladies. This was not a culture that was super nice to women. The second thing is this, is that a lot of times when someone would write their lineage down and they were telling the story of how they came into being, they would oftentimes cover up anybody in their lineage that was scandalous or disgraceful. So like if they had a great grandpa who did some crazy stuff, they might just leave him out. Anybody you might would have gotten left out of your lineage? Huh? Yeah. It was very common to lie on the lineage to cover up any scandals or disgrace. And it was common to not put women in, but right here in the middle of the lineage, that God inspires Matthew to write, we see this lady's name, Rahab. Now, how many of you know who Rahab is? Just wave at me real fast. You know who Rahab is. How many of you don't know who Rahab is? Just wave at me. That's cool, too. Well, let's figure out who Rahab is. We're going to go to Hebrews eleven thirty one. This is the end of a chapter about faith. 
It tells us the definition of faith in the first couple of verses, and then it lists some people out who had great faith. And there's only two women in this, what a lot of people call the hall of, there you go, hall of faith. You guys catching on pretty good. Sarah's the first one, but in verse 31 it says, by faith, Rahab the did not perish with those who were disobedient because she had given a friendly welcome to the spies. So now we know this. Matthew was inspired by God to put a prostitute's name right in the middle of Jesus' lineage. In a culture where it was completely normal to gloss over and cover up any kind of people who had made mistakes or done things that were wrong or had had great scandals. Matthew puts a woman and she's a prostitute on top of that. So then, I mean, honestly, fittingly, remember, the whole Bible is the Christmas story. The Christmas story is not reserved to just a few verses in the Gospels, it really starts as the, at the beginning. So let's go look at Rahab's story. Some of you are thinking to yourself, man, I came to see my kids and you're trying to preach a full-blown message. Well, while we got you here, we're just going to give you the gospel. So hang on. Y'all ready? All right. And Joshua, this, oh, Joshua chapter 2. This is a long story, but it's great. If your Bible's boring, I, 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 I encourage you to put down your Bible and, and come get one of mine because the one that I'm reading is not boring. And Joshua, the son of Nun, sent two men secretly from Shittim as spies saying, go view the land, especially Jericho. So Moses has died. Joshua was his successor. He's leading the people of Israel into the promised land. And we all know the great story of Jericho with the big old walls and how that worked. Most of us do. If you don't, now you know. But they've got to go through Jericho. So they stop, and Joshua has a strategy to send two spies into the city. So they went into the city, and they came into the house of a prostitute whose name was Rahab, and they lodged there. Now, it's okay to ask questions of the text when you read the Bible. In fact, that's what usually makes it interesting. And many of you, I see it in your eyes right now. They're like, hold up, I ain't never read this before. Why did they lodge in a prostitute's house? So let me just say this right out of the gate. There's absolutely no insinuation that there was anything immoral happening. It's just that they picked a really good place to hide. And it was told to the king of Jericho, behold, men of Israel have come here tonight to search out the land. So their little mission is revealed to the king. Then the king of Jericho finds out, oh my goodness, they're at Rahab's house. So he sends to Rahab saying, you need to bring out the men who have come to you, who have entered your house, for they have come to search out all the land. But the woman had taken the two men and hidden them. And she said, it's true. The men did come to me, but I did not know where they were from. And when the gate was about to be closed at dark, the men left. They went out. I do not know where the men went. Pursue them quickly, for you will overtake them. But she had brought them up to the roof 
and she had made a homemade ghillie suit out of flax. She had camouflaged them and put them on the roof. So the men pursued after them on the way to Jordan as far as the fords, and the gate was shut as soon as the pursuers had gone out. Now before the men lay down, she came back up to the roof. How many of you see what's going on right now? Wave at me. You see it? You see that you, everybody got the image in your mind right now? She goes back up to the roof and she says to the men, I know the Lord has given you the land. And that the fear of you has fallen upon us and that all the inhabitants of the land melt away before you. Remember, this is the Christmas story. For we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea before you when you came out of Egypt and what you did to the two kings of the Amorites who were beyond the Jordan, the Sihon and Og, whom you devoted to destruction. And as soon as we heard it, our hearts melted and there was no spirit left in any man because of you. For the Lord your God, he is the God in the heavens above and on the earth beneath. So what we see already is that Rahab, she's already heard stories about God. And what do we see in Rahab's life? Even in the life of a prostitute, we see faith. And faith still comes now from the place that it came then. And it still happened then the same way it happens now. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So she heard these feats about God the one true God, and faith had already begun to visit a godless pagan place. Faith had already become to visit a prostitute's home simply because of the words she had heard spoken about God. So then she let them, oh, I'm getting ahead of myself. She says, now then, please swear to me by the Lord, as I have dealt kindly with you, you will also deal kindly with my father's house. And give me a sure sign that you will save alive my father and my mother, my brothers and my sisters, and all who belong to him, and deliver our lives from death. And the men said to her, Our life for yours, even to death. If you do not tell this business of ours, then when the Lord gives us the land, we will deal kindly and faithfully with you. How I many of you see what's going on right now? Why are we in Joshua? Why are we in the Old Testament? Talking about who? Rahab. And why are we talking about Rahab? Because God inspired Matthew to put Rahab right in the middle of the lineage of Jesus, which is just a few verses away from when Matthew begins to explain how Jesus came into this earth. Then she let them down by a, a rope. Is that up there? Not yet. It's coming, y'all. Then she let them down by a rope. I want you to, in your Bibles, circle that word rope. It's really important. She let them down by a rope. We're in verse 15. Through the window, for her house was built into the city wall so that she lived in the wall. Now, how many of you do know the story of Jericho and what eventually happens? The walls come. Remember the kids' story, song we sing? The walls come what? Tumbling down. But Rahab's house was built into the walls right okay she lets them down by rope and she said to them look go to the hills or the pursuers will encounter you and hide there how many days three days if you can't see jesus in the story 
you ain't looking. Hide there three days until the pursuers have returned. Then afterward, you may go your way. The men said to her, we will be guiltless with respect to this oath of yours that you made us swear. In other words, look, we're going to keep our word, but we need you to do something, she said in verse 18. We need you to tie this scarlet cord in the window that you let us down. In other words, they're probably sitting there and they're looking around. They're trying to find something they can flag her window. And evidently she has a lot of red fabric. And they say, tie this in your window. Now I want you to circle that word cord there. It means something. And gather into your house. In other words, go get your daddy, get your mama, get your brothers, get your sisters, get your cousins. And get them in your house before this goes down. And if anyone goes out of the doors of your house, their blood's on their own head. We're guiltless. But if you tell this business of ours, I'm sorry, but if a hand is laid on anyone who is with you in this house, his blood shall be on our own head. Does anybody, this sounds like a very familiar story that's already in the Old Testament. But if you tell this business of ours, then we shall be guiltless with respect to your oath that you have made us swear. And she said, according to your word, so be it. Then she sent them away and they departed and she tied the scarlet cord in the window. Now you want to circle that word cord there again. What we see here is we see that faith has already begun to rise up in Rahab so that she can believe. This is the woman who made it into the lineage of Jesus. Jesus' grandmother, 16 times over, was a pagan prostitute. And what we're going to see here is a cool story. We could even make a movie about it. From a prostitute to a princess. She's literally going to marry one of the princes of Israel, and she's going to be got Boaz, who will become a kinsman redeemer. You're just going to see this beautiful thing happening that we would not expect in the announcement of a king. Now, how many of you remember I told you to circle those three ropes, those three cords? Of course, many of you know, some of you don't. The Bible was not written in English. I really hate to bust anybody's Bible, but King James did not write the Bible. I know, he didn't. This portion of the Bible was written in Hebrew, and every single time that word rope or cord is used, every single time it's written in the original language, it means three different things. In verse 15, when it talks about the rope that she used to let them down, it's the word chevel. Everybody say chevel. Try it again. Come on. You can do it. I really believe in you. Say, Chevel. For the, some of you are still struggling. Anybody here, you have a cold. Can you stand up and cough something up and show the rest of us how to use that guttural sound? Actually, don't do that. You're getting it. Chevel. All right. The second time the word cord is used, it's the word hoot. Everybody say hoot. No, not... Some of y'all dropped your southern knees on us and you said, hoot. <laughs> like an owl, I get it. <laughs> no, hoot. Verse 18. That word havel and the word hoot, they're all referencing cords or ropes that were used for work. The word hoot is the word that 
the spies tell Rahab, look, we want you to tie this scarlet or this red to your window. But when it talks about Rahab tying the actual scarlet rope to her window in verse 21, it uses a different word, and it's the word tikva. And it really means something special. They told her to tie a rope, but the word tikva is translated with, a, with one word, and it's the word hope. They pointed to a common object that was in this prostitute's home, and they said, we want you to use it. But somehow from her picking the scarlet rope off of the floor and getting it to the window, it turned from a normal rope into hope. So when they would show up, they wouldn't just see a scarlet cord hanging from the window. They would see hope stained in red hanging from the window. The secret to abundant life is to believe that God can be in places where we doubted he could be. Jesus, the way he came into this earth was absolutely no mistake. We serve a sovereign God who knew all the details. He didn't at the last minute decide to use Rahab. He did not at the last second decide to use a teenager. He didn't at the last second decide to use a manger, a barn. We still struggle with some of the same things that the people of that time struggled and that we imagine that we served a God who rode up on a white horse with a sword in his hand ready to dominate and conquer. But y'all, we serve a God who left heaven and came to this earth and was born in a feed trough. Anybody have a barn with animals in it? What's in a barn with animals in it? Don't say it. Just by the way he came, we learned this, that Jesus left heaven and he dropped down right in the middle of our mess. Right in the middle of our mess ups, right in the middle of our mistakes. And he chose to come through the lineage of Rahab. How many of you have the perfect Christmas already planned out? Anybody got it figured out? What you're going to do? Anybody hoping for a white Christmas this year? This will split the church. Wow. Anybody hoping for a 70-degree Christmas? Yeah, me too. I just don't want to turn the heat on in my old house. I think sometimes at Christmas, many of us have made up our mind what it would take to have an abundant Christmas. And if we don't get it, then we're committed to not enjoying it. I want to remind you that we, we serve a God who breathes life into the most uncommon of things. We don't serve a God who demands that we get it all together before we serve a God that comes right in the middle of our messed up families, 
Anybody? We serve a God who comes right in the middle of our mistakes. Anybody? We serve a God who comes and visits a prostitute in the middle of a pagan city and says, I'm going to hand pick you. Not because there's no one else, but because I want to send a message to a lost and dying world that we do not come to him through what we do. We don't come to him by our good works. We don't come to him by our good life and by all the things that we accomplish. We come to him by grace and by grace alone. When you look at this story, it's clearly the greatest story ever told, but you're going to miss the majority of the story if you only look at those few scriptures in the New Testament. Every word on every page has always whispered the name of Jesus. Every story in the Old Testament has always pointed forward to someone greater who would come. The Christmas story was in the Garden of Eden when God went looking for Adam and Eve. They weren't pursuing him. In fact, they were doing what? They were hiding. And what had they done? They had come up with man-made ways of covering up their sin. And he came looking for them. You see, Jesus was right there. He was there in the skins that God would use to cover them. Jesus was in your favorite story, Noah and the ark. He was the great ark of salvation. He's been there all along. This, everything is the Christmas story. The Christmas story is this. God left heaven. He came to this earth to be one of us. He felt our pain, our weaknesses. He was even tempted like you and me, except worse. But yet he did not sin. The message of Christmas is a message of hope. That even in the middle of the most ridiculous of circumstances, there is a scarlet cord. There's a tikvah. There is a hope that is blood-stained for you and for me. From the blood around the mantle of the Israelites' home to the scarlet cord of Rahab to the drops of blood and sweat in the Garden of Gethsemane, to the bloody cross, there is hope. This is the secret to us living an abundant life. Look for the cord. Look for hope. Keep your eyes on the hope that erupts from the most precarious of circumstances. This, the past three years have been a pretty trying year, few trying years for the people of this church. Many of you have lost people that you thought you would not lose for 40 or 50 years. Some of you were just out minding your own business, exercising. You get hit by a car from behind, completely changes your whole life. As I look around right now, look, I, we've been there. 
But you know, the funny thing that I hear from all these people who have gone through all these great tragedies in life is this. They all say the same thing. They'll say, I don't understand it. And sometimes I struggle with believing that it's fair. But you know what? I've seen these little glimmers of hope all through what I've been going through. I've seen these little miracles happen all through it. We're going to be celebrating Tangie's. Y'all, how many of you know Miss Tangie? Her grandmother passed away um, just this past week. We're going to be celebrating her home going today. And um, her grandmother's wish was that she could pass away at home. And uh, we went out to eat lunch this past week, and they were talking about how she was going downhill, and they got her home. And they got her home, and she had been there for 13 hours, and she went on to be with Jesus. And what you could do is you could look at the tragedy of, of losing her, or you could look at the, uh, the little glimmer of hope in the fact that she was able to be at home. And that's, these are the kinds of stories that we've been hearing the past several years. We serve a God that would allow his son to come from a prostitute's lineage, and that should have given us a clue to the kind of God that we serve. We serve a God of hope. We serve a God that sees past our messy lives, and he sees our faith. We serve a God who in his sovereignty picks a prostitute to proudly announce the birth of his son. Who loved us enough to give us one living metaphor after the other to help those of us who are more stubborn than the rest to see that Jesus really is the son of God. We serve a God who loves us and calls us where we are but doesn't leave us unchanged. Do y'all get that? Do you catch that? Yes, Rahab the prostitute was saved by her faith through grace, but it wasn't long before God had taken her from a prostitute and turned her into a princess. If you're worried about your behavior and your habits, And the things that are weighing you down, it's a promise from God. Yes, he reaches us where we are, but he doesn't leave us unchanged. He is going to change you. He's going to change you. You might have a limp the rest of your life, but he's going to change you. This is the God we serve. In the coming days... After Rahab's mustard seed faith was shown, the armies of Israel would overtake Jericho, not through power, but through what? Faith. They would do one of the most unusual things that anybody had probably ever seen. They would just march around the city and sing really loud and shout and blow horns. How strange. But that's what faith looks like sometimes. In a way, Joshua would be a judge for Jericho. But when he looked at the window of Rahab's house, 
what would he see? Just waving in the wind. He would see hope. And if you know the, the story of Jericho, you know that the, like we say in the kids' song, right? The walls came what? They came tumbling down. But where was Rahab's house? In the wall. Could it be that these walls come down and then, but Rahab's house with a bloodstained cord is just still perfectly okay because where was she commanded to be? In the house with the hope hanging from the window. No doubt this sight would have sent chills down Joshua's spine because he would have been very familiar with the story of the plagues of Egypt. He would have been told how the story on the blood post, on the post of the door, how this act of faith would have saved the firstborn children of those who obeyed. So while Joshua showed up as a judge for Jericho, in a way, he showed up as a savior for Rahab and his family. And this is the way it is for each and every one of us. One day, every knee will Every knee will bow. And Christ can be your judge or he's going to be your savior. My challenge to you is this. We live in eastern North Carolina. You've heard that Jesus is the only way to the Father. You've heard that a relationship with him is the only way to make it right with God. So telling that to you is not new news. But those of you who are part of our church, you know something that we fight in eastern North Carolina is this spirit of religiosity where we think we somehow have earned our way into a relationship with God. We are not saved by our works. We are saved by grace through faith. We're saved by something as the simple act of tying a blood-stained cord onto a window. If you have never confessed Jesus Christ as the Son of God and that God raised him from the dead, today I implore you to make that your confession. And I'm going to take it as far as to say this. If your salvation is anything other than Jesus, if someone were to come to you and say, are you saved? And you were to say, yeah, I am. And they were to say, why? And you were to say, well, um, I've been going to church most of my life. Or I'm a pretty good person. That's not the kind of salvation that we see in this story. That's not the Christmas story. Salvation is a gift from God, and we do nothing other than receive it to get it. So if your salvation is based off of anything you've done, I would encourage you to hang that salvation up and receive real salvation that comes through faith, by grace. The same salvation that saved Ed Cogdell. Ed. How many of you were here at Recovery Live this past Friday night? Yeah. 
If you have not heard Ed's testimony, I would encourage you to go find it on the Recovery Alive Goldsboro Facebook page. I sat in this front seat and I just cried like a baby. Ed, he can do it, can he? Huh? He can do it. We're going to have to get you to share your testimony on a Sunday morning real quick. I said it in the microphone so it has to happen now, right? All my Recovery Alive people, y'all are excited about that. Look, he can do it, y'all. He's changed Ed's life from someone who was struggling with addiction to now he's a peer support specialist. I want you to stand up with me. God can do the same for you. But before he changes your circumstances, he wants a relationship with you. In fact, that's the means in which he's going to change your circumstances. Will you bow your head, close your eyes with me? Are you here this morning and you do not know Jesus Christ as your Savior? You've never confessed Christ as Lord. Or maybe you have confessed Christ as Lord, but you thought you were saved by your works, through your church attendance, for the things that you've done. If you feel the Holy Spirit drawing you to be saved, the Bible says this. We confess Christ as the Son of God, that God raised him from the dead. We believe it in our heart, and then we are saved. It doesn't take you raising your hand. You don't have to jump up. You don't have to run down to an altar. You confess Christ as the Son of God. And that God raised it from the dead. You believe it in your heart. And the Bible says you're saved. And from that moment, all the stuff that you thought you needed to do to be saved will begin happening. Your life will be changed. Dear Lord, I thank you so much for sending Jesus in this earth to do what we could not do for ourselves. We thank you for the multiple stories of hope throughout Scripture that help us understand what Christ did more and more. I pray, Lord, for every person in this church, every family, that as they leave today, as they go out, that they'll really have a Christ-centered Christmas. Lord, I pray that you would show us the little glimmers of hope in the middle of imperfect stories and imperfect lives. In Jesus' name I pray. If you enjoyed today's message, we want to encourage you to join our Facebook online community. Search for Bethel Church online for more great content from our pastors and leaders here at Bethel. Join us next week for another inspiring message.